When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Cleo holds in her hand a half-open scroll, and we shall never read its unopened part. Now, if you listen to the last episode, you're familiar with the fact that I used that same opening line. And as I explained in the last episode, those words were written by a very interesting historian named Lucy Maynard Salmon. Salmon was born July 27, 1853 in Fulton, New York, and she was a professor of history at Vassar College from 1889 all the way up until her death in 1927. She had a very long career and did some great work. Salmon was appointed by the Executive Committee of the American Historical Association's Committee of Seven in 1897, which happened to be the exact same year that the Texas State Historical Association was formed. And that group of historians, the Committee of Seven, influenced the way history was taught at the high school level and beyond. She became the first woman to serve on the AHA's executive committee in 1915. The North American Review published her essay titled Why is History Rewritten in 1912? And it was reissued as a book in the 1920s. Over 110 years ago, a historian was addressing the rewriting of history and gave many of the same reasons we use today to answer the same question. Now, you might say, rewriting is not the same as revisionism. And you might be a little bit right. I'd argue that they have the same roots because the reasons she presents are similar to the ones revisionists have been using for several decades. At the beginning of her essay, she explained that a historian, quote, knows his task is not an easy one, however much so it may appear to others. Among all the many problems that confront the historian, none is more serious than that of the necessity of constantly rewriting history. Yet to the incredulous, this may seem but an imaginary difficulty. Why, they may ask, does the historian feel this pressure to do over again what has once been done. Surely, if history has been once written, it ought to stand. History deals with facts. These facts do not change, and the duplication of work already done means wasted, fruitless effort. 
Moreover, history is an interesting form of literature, and anyone who has a mind of ordinary education and experience, as Alexander Bain has expressed it, and wields a facile pen, will have no difficulty in making his contribution to the literature of history. If the facts of history do not change, and if they have been presented in attractive literary form, the historian is condemning himself to a veritable labor of Sisyphus. Why does history need to be rewritten? End quote. Now, 1912, she confronted this question, this dilemma, and gave the answer that, quote, two great groups of reasons may be presented here. One of these pertain to the questions that deal with the subject matter of history, and the second group relates to the improvement in methods of work. And those answers are still relevant today. The same statements or arguments against revisionism or rewriting history are still used. She began by saying the most obvious reasons that compel the rewriting of history concern its subject matter. And of all of these, the most obvious is the simple fact that new material is being constantly found. Now, again, this was back in the early 1900s. But even today, you still hear arguments like that. Furthermore, she said, yet while the discovery of new literary material makes the rewriting of history from time to time necessary, this is, after all, but a minor element in the rewriting of history. The rewriting of history is made necessary rather because large classes of material previously unknown or neglected have been placed at the service of the historian. Her next major point is especially relevant for today. If you recall the episode on the valuable resources being made available by the portals of Texas history, the people at the Texas History Trust, with their primary documents that they're scanning in and making available and searchable, the Texas State Historical Association, and, and beyond. Salmon wrote, History needs to be rewritten because of the growing spirit of democracy in the Republic of Letters. Once the records of history were practically inaccessible to all except the elect, today material that was previously available only for the few is being made available for all. Much material has been unavailable for general use because but a single copy has been known to exist, and the reprinting or duplication of single copies has often made possible new points of view for the historian. The spirit of democracy in the Republic of Letters is what she wrote, and that's very important. Today, more than in 1912 or ever, everyone that has the desire and access just to a simple internet connection has access to the ability to learn and share what they learn. History is important. I've tried to make that case pretty pretty clear and it's also special but it is not a treasure that should be hidden behind a wall protected by a gatekeep historians should be guides through the vast adventure of exploring the past next she wrote history again needs to be rewritten in order to prune away the 
excrescences, that's a big word, of tradition and history as in nature. Tall oaks from little acorns grow. This has to do with digging deep to uncover the truths hidden within legend and myth. She then continued by giving an example of the mystery and legend of Roland. And if you are not familiar with Roland, just go do a quick search and find yourself a great story to learn about. And she added, Here, as in many instances, an initial kernel of truth has become so surrounded by legend as to be entirely concealed, and thus history must be rewritten to separate this kernel from the worthless husks. And furthermore, she wrote, quote, The poet also has laid a burden on the historian. The purpose of the dramatist and that of the historian are, in a sense, diametrically opposed to each other. The good dramatist must almost of necessity be found wanting as an historian. And the historian with dramatic tendencies is in danger of being disqualified as an historian to expect the dramatist to be at the same time an historian is to expect the impossible. Yet the dramatist and the poet often deal with historical events and not infrequently deal with them in such a manner as to give rise to serious misconceptions that must be corrected by the historian. There is, for example, a somewhat hackneyed phrase to the effect that the sea and the mountains are the natural home of liberty and this is often taught as an historical truth, to the poet laureate must be charged many misstatements that make it necessary for the historian to follow in his wake and correct the excesses of his imagination that grow out of his official position. Dryden's Cromwell and Ad Astra may well be interchanged in their eulogies of Cromwell and of Charles II, and this point she makes is especially relevant today because people are using history for good reason for subject matter in TV and film, as they always have, and historical fiction. And the especially significant and successful examples of this sometimes do make errors. Sometimes they take liberty for good reason to make the story move along. And that can be dangerous but at the same time, I love a good historical fiction movie, book, TV show, just as much as anybody. And sometimes I do, you know, sometimes you just have to let it go. But sometimes there might be something put forward that is just too incorrect. And it's the job of people that love history and historians to point out the errors, especially when it's about a subject matter or a topic that has extreme relevance today. Using history and politics and for different reasons, historians have an obligation to make sure that it's not being misused. So, I'll move on. Surprisingly enough, Lucy Maynard Salmon next ventured into territory that sounds a great deal like what we call revisionism. She wrote, Another reason for rewriting history is the necessity of correcting the false assumptions of writers of history. History has often been written along the line of least resistance, and thus it has been easier to write history by the deductive rather than by the inductive method. 
to assume an hypothesis either through carelessness or ignorance, and to make facts, if any are used, conform to these assumed theses. These assumptions, frequently clothed in language that carries conviction, usually deal with large generalizations and are often extremely difficult to disprove. Many of them are the familiar coin of the pseudo-historian, and many of them have passed current even till today. And then she goes on to add something relevant to Texas history and its myths and assumptions. She said, These assumptions and their kin, whose numbers are legion, crowd the pages of history, and their presence there affords one of the most fruitful reasons why history has to be rewritten. Historians themselves are a cause for rewriting history, is what she's arguing. And she also wrote, Next of kin to these false assumptions on the part of writers of history are the false and perverted statements of historians. She uses the example of the French Revolution, but she just as well could have been using an example of Texas history when she wrote, The temptation has been strong to write of it in terms of black or white, and the temptation has not always been resisted. It is much to be regretted that the writing of history has always suffered and must always suffer from the inability of historians to know the facts of the past, but it is little less than tragic that so many historians able to reconstruct the past aright are forced to spend a large part of their lives in attempting to correct the errors made by careless, indifferent, ignorant writers who pose as historians. She next added, History must be rewritten to correct the personal equation. All histories written during the supremacy of a strong line of kings or of a powerful political party or emanating from an influential church organization are prone to be affected by the personal elements involved. That is an extremely important point that she's making back in the past in 1912 that we need to pay attention to as well today. She adds also in an especially thoughtful statement that is also very relevant for today. Textbooks used in the schools of the North and of the South are still far apart in their treatment of our own civil war. Yet ultimately, they must approach each other as the personal and sectional element in each is eliminated. Now again, she was kind of optimistic there and that the sectional elements over the Civil War would have progressed farther. And as we sadly know today, this is not the case, and it's still an important issue, especially if you pay attention to the news and the fights that have been going on regarding Civil War-related and other historical issues. Also, she said, history needs to be rewritten because many questions affect the subject matter with which it deals. New material is constantly being discovered. Material previously inaccessible is made available for the use of all. Tradition must be separated into its component parts. Poetry must be regarded as poetry and not interpreted with literal exactness. The unsubstantiated assumptions of historians 
must be investigated. The false and perverted accounts of pseudo-historians must be set right. And the personal equation of former historians must be corrected. Were no other factors involved in the problem aside from those that affect the material with which history deals, it is not too much to say that history of every period and of every subject that has ever been written should have to be rewritten. Salomon also perceived changes in technique and method, and that is something that we've dealt with over several last several decades. And she said, but weighty as are all these reasons for rewriting history, even more weighty ones are found in that class that relates to improvements in methods of work. These include not only improvements in technique, but the fundamental ones that are involved in methods of research, those that grow out of the application of the principle of division of labor, and others that come through the development of other branches of knowledge. While increasing precision and growing refinements of classification have affected for the better the methods of the historian, as these have also been affected by the realization of the important part played both by the constructive imagination and by the development of the science of historical criticism, and most of all, by the substitution of the inductive for the deductive method. She then has another great line, and it's worth looking up this essay just for reading the whole thing in full. She's an amazing writer, had great thoughts, and one of the reasons I'm even quoting so much from it is I just want to share her great work and because it is very relevant today she also correctly asserted time was when everything that was in print went but in recent years the reputation of more than one so-called history has been shipwrecked on the rock of taking everything in print at its face value this is very important she also says the work of every historian is today discredited unless it carries with it indisputable proof of the reliability of the sources on which it is based, and it is because of ignorance of this fundamental principle, indifference to it, or disregard of it in the past, that the burden is now laid on the historian of doing over again a large part of the work once considered final. Now, granted, She's being pretty heavy-handed and harsh on some of the historians that were writing in just the decades before her and even earlier, but for good reason. A lot of the old historical work still has relevance. I still believe that it has a value, but we have to approach it from a critical point and question them just like we would any other source were their biases what information were they using and we apply that today when we do work and when we review historical work that's what you should be doing when you hear me do a story on a historical event look into it yourself that doesn't sound quite right and then you know question it i try to be as faithful and true to the method and to the sources as I can when I do it. But, you know, I'm going to make mistakes. I don't claim to be perfect or that my work will be perfect. And I encourage you to be highly suspect of people that do say they have the final answer and know everything 
as indisputable proof. Salman also recognized that there had been advancement in the knowledge of other fields of research that needed to be considered, and that is also the case today. Salman wrote, The development of other branches of knowledge has made it necessary to rewrite history. How history is written and shared is also of importance, and she recognized that. She said, It is in large part due to this form of imagination that the historical novel owes its success, but histories written with the aid of the historical imagination have been, after all, but histories written in the flat. They must be rewritten in the round through the use of the critical imagination. It is this imagination that makes alive not simply men, but abstractions. It is the imagination that enables the historian to understand illusions and suggestions, to look below the surface and to see the records of history and everything about him. The attempt to write history with the aid of the literary imagination has produced a hybrid that has been neither literature nor history, as is illustrated in Guevara's Flowers of History. The use of the historical imagination has given us a panorama of the past, but while the pictures drawn have been vivid and even truthful, they have been but pictures and have lacked the reality of life itself. History must be rewritten through the aid of the constructive imagination if the past is to live again. End quote. That's a lot to take in there, a lot to think about. And I think there is some truth in her statement there. Another reason she gives is about how we think and how we reason about issues. She said, Another great change in the methods of work that has affected the writing of history is found in the substitution of inductive for deductive reasoning. It is not necessary to accept literally Macaulay's famous apotheosis of the inductive method to appreciate the revolution that has been made in the writing of history since historians have substituted conclusions derived from the study of facts for the assumption of a thesis and the selection of facts to prove the thesis. Many histories that represent preconceived ideas rather than conclusions deducted from a study of facts, must be rewritten in accordance with a reversal of these two principles. And I know a lot of you recognize in the statement there, a lot of the problems that we hear about today, having an issue and wanting to prove a point, and then going in to prove that point by basically cherry-picking the evidence that you give. Salman concluded that history will be rewritten until the end of time and finished by saying, Progress is made not by advance on a plane, but by an ever-ascending spiral where the road doubles and redoubles on itself and at every turn presents a wider outlook than was afforded from the lower level. Yet the summit of the highest peak is never reached, for unsealed heights always lie beyond. Cleo holds in her hand a half-open scroll, and we shall never read its unopened part. And I began the last episode with a question about the meaning of that, and she gives the answer in her own writing. It's a constant mission and challenge and task for the historian and for every generation to constantly rework 
our look at our past. I really, just really loved that last line. Cleo holds in her hand a half-open scroll, and we shall never read its unopened part. Lucy Maynard Salmon was such an interesting person and a great historian and great thinker. And I feel really lucky that I accidentally came across her work and this kind of dove into it. And her wise words from back in 1912, they are still alive and have significance and are applicable and relevant for us today and they will be in the future. You are listening to Texas History Lessons, a slow walk through Texas history made in Texas by a Texan for everyone everywhere. So what's the point of all of this? What have I been leading to? The past does not change, but history does. To reiterate, the past cannot be changed, but history has been, is being, and will be rewritten. My advice is to take the good from what was written about history before and preserve it cautiously and with an attentive mind. Read what is being written today and cast aside what you see as unnecessary negativity while also learning the good and participate in the preservation, promotion, and creation of history for the future. It's important. I'll say it again. But more than that, and the reason I'm mainly doing this podcast, the driving force for a lot of people and so for why people listen to podcasts about history and read books about history and watch movies and documentaries about history, it's because there is that sense of adventure and it's fun. And I'm going to quote my friend Josh who is the host of the Great Wild West Extravaganza podcast. He said to the effect, let's have fun with history because, quote, if we're not having fun with history or with any other of life's pursuits, what's the point? And you can read that from his substack. He has a Wild West substack. And that was in particular on a post he did was Billy the Kid, a girl. We deal with some serious issues and I've been doing some really deep look into the importance and reasons and ideas and theories behind history. But in the end, the guiding principle is to learn, share what I learn, but also to have fun with it and promote things that are interesting and important. So that's it for this episode. We draw to a close this part of the investigation. Next up, we will be looking at all these pesky activist historians that have a lot of people concerned. Where did they come from? Did they just emerge yesterday from the ether? Or have they in one way or another, pretty much always been around. Spoiler, it's the second option. Thanks for listening. The theme music for Texas History Lessons is by the great artist Derek McClendon. Please go check out his music. Contact information for me is in the show notes. Uh, You can email me at texashistorylessons at gmail.com. 
again, thank you for listening. Share the show if you enjoy it. And take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Be kind. Adios. Adios.